Welcome back to the Sharon Fitzmaurice podcast in episode 88. And my lovely guest today is Katie Graydon Spence. Katie is a master's student in psychological science at Queen's University, Belfast, and service coordinator for the Eating Disorders Association, Northern Ireland. She is an aspiring clinical psychologist and hopes to use her personal experiences of mental health to help others. Katie currently runs a mental health page, Positivity Only, on Facebook, and it has over 3.5 thousand followers and Instagram, which has its sixth anniversary in January of this year, and the community is building each and every day. Many often say that age is a limitation, but Katie feels empowerment as a young 22-year-old who says she has a fire within and she believes young people have an authentic power to change the world one step at a time. Katie, you are very welcome. Thank you so much. It's lovely to have you here. And as everyone knows, I'm very real and honest. And we were having a little technical issue as we started. So we had to start again. But here we are back. So, Katie, I had asked you, do you believe or is it your feeling, you know, as a 22 year old, that people disregard young people and what they have to say or what they've experienced already in their lives to date? Yeah, absolutely. I think. And many people see young people as quite being quite inexperienced and maybe not having the knowledge or the life skills to bring to the table. And it is understandable to an extent because we are younger, we don't have as much life experience, but we still have many great things to bring to the table. And it doesn't mean that young people should be excluded from decision making. Absolutely. You're so right. And I think even for you, and we'll go into your backstory now in a moment, but for you, you know, I have, you know, and we've all, we're all on social media and I know that young people in particular don't follow me. You know, I'm 52. So what I share in my work, they may follow that, but it may not be what I'm doing on a personal level. So I think that younger people have greater influence with their own generation, with their own peers in sharing their experiences and saying, you look, this is what I went through. This is how I coped with it. And this is how I'm dealing with it now. And that people will look to you more because you do have that same way of thinking. You're st- you're living in that world of being 22, where I'm living in the world of being 52. Maybe sometimes the mind is back at 22, Casey, but so do you feel that young people reach out to each other yeah absolutely I think there's a really nice sense of community across all young people and I try to connect with people of all different ages because like you're saying it can be quite isolating when young people maybe don't want to connect in the same way with other adults and I think it's really important that We learn to connect with each other and have connections across various different age groups. Um, I have a lot of friends across various different age groups, some that are more the age of my parents, even my grandparents, and some that are my own age. And it's great because you can reach out to them for support and advice, and they will give you that advice based on their life experience. But I think often young people feel 
invalidated and maybe intimidated and they don't want to create those connections with other adults. So what can we do as, well now imagine I'm going to call myself the older generation, but I am. And I work with a lot of young people, you know, so I don't see them. I know they're younger looking and younger maybe in their lived experience, but some people have lived huge experiences and a lot of traumatic events and challenges in their old, very early young life. And they may not have had that support You know, like you, they may not have had loving parents or grandparents or peers. So they look to other adults and maybe that's through therapy or through, you know, whatever it is. But really, I wonder, do and maybe this comes back to you as well. What, as I said, what can we do as the older generation? How can we now, I don't think I invalidate young people, but maybe a lot of young people feel they are by you know certain age groups. But what can we do as older generations to not invalidate young people? Um, I think a lot of it is around throwaway comments. Um, the kind of example for me as a student, um, you know, I, I would hear comments made all the time. And I was at an award ceremony in December and a comment was made to another adult, uh, from one adult to another, who were standing beside me. And they said, the girl said, oh, sure, young people, they're always partying and they're so, they're so entitled. And sure, the Queen students, they have their rich parents who will just pay for their degree and... But sure, um, I haven't grown up, up with both of my parents being lawyers and I didn't have everything paid for me. I had to make my own way in the world. And that kind of hit me because I was like, gosh, is that like a general view of, you know, students and academics? Because certainly that was not my experience. I worked part time in the hospital cleaning And I I drove straight there after a full day of lectures and classes so that, you know, I could financially maintain the course because like loans don't cover everything. No, they do not. And for a lot of, you know, and I agree with you, you know, people that make flippant comments, you know, maybe their experiences of just one or two people that they know of, but they shouldn't assume and put everybody into the same bracket because I know lots of young people, my own two grown-up adult children, that they have always had a part-time job and they have paid their own way for years. And of course, we helped them out if they ever needed it, but you know that they're independent and they've worked hard for what they have. So I really admire young people, I think because you've had a lot of challenges, especially with the pandemic, you know, adding to everything else in life. And that I think I've just seen young people like yourself just coming out of the woodwork on social media and creating, you know, a connection for themselves to other people and creating a source of inspiration like you with your page positivity only. And I think that's just admirable. So it would be lovely if people focus more on that side Again, rather than the side, there are people partying, but there's old people partying too, and they're creating the same fuss as the young people, sometimes louder, Katie. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's just, I. so I think just some of the stereotypes around young people can be really damaging at times, or 
I say, you know, there have been some even young MLAs who have um, stepped up and they're maybe in their early 20s. And I have viewed a lot of comments, particularly on social media from perhaps older members, you know, basically saying, oh, what do they know? They don't have the life experience. You know, they're too optimistic or they're too hopeful for a better future. This is the way it's always been. So. I I think just those flippant comments can be a lot more damaging and they can generalize young people and we're not all the same. No, you're not. And I think like that, again, it's for people to be more mindful of what they say, isn't it? You know, all of us and, you know, those presumptions about young people or any person, you know, that it's just taking a breath and saying, you know, you only see a glimpse of each person that's not the whole person and even if young people are out partying oh do you know what let them out and party and have a great time because it might be the only night you've seen them partying they could be like you working part-time studying really hard and there could be lots of other things going on for them so don't assume it's what they're doing every night so Katie let's go back to you beautiful you and tell me about your backstory and coming from are you all have you always lived in Belfast? So I have always been a Newton Arts girl, which is about 20 minutes from Belfast. Um I was recently living out in a village called Carridor, um, which we nicknamed the Corridor because you quite literally just drive through it. Um, so I was living out in the village for a few years, and now me and my fiance Jordan are living with my grandparents back in Newton Arts. Oh, lovely. And how is it living with your grandparents as a couple? Do you know what? We absolutely love it. Um, so my birth dad left uh, when I was very young, when I was about 11, um, to go to England. And my mom and I had, she was a single mom. My mom and I had lived with my grandparents for like the first six months of my life. So my granda used to do all of my nighttime feeds when the Summer Olympics were on. Um, so I've always kind of found it quite a nurturing environment and I stayed at my grandparents house every single weekend mm -hmm. until I met Jordan when I was 20 and um, so it's been a, a really special and close relationship so I know it's great that we can both share that connection Jordan's just been adopted as another grandchild so mm -hmm. That's wonderful. I'm yeah. delighted. And I'm sure your grandparents are so happy to have you both with them. That's great. So going back then to, you know, your dad leaving when you were 11, did you have contact with your dad again? Did you have a close relationship after he left? Um, No, like the contacts, there's been very little contact, really. Um, he left the summer before I started into like first year of secondary school and um, so he left that summer and yeah it was really tough he's been away 10 years now but no there's been very little com um, communication between us. How did that make little Katie feel? Um, well I think naturally as a child when something like that happens you think it's your fault mm -hmm. and Really, until I was 16, 17, when a family member sat me down and just told me some of the more factual 
information around the reasons as to why he actually left, I think that enabled me to let go of that false belief that it was my fault. But it wasn't really until then that I was able to let it go. And I guess I carried a lot of that guilt. And I think no matter how many times people said this wasn't your fault, I couldn't believe it or wouldn't let myself believe it until I knew some more factual mm. evidence that just kind of forced me to believe that it wasn't my fault. So there's another important point is, you know, sometimes adults think, oh, the child doesn't understand or there's no point telling them anything. But again, you were 11, you know, and a very impressionable age as well, coming up before teenage years, you know, where we do start changing and we start noticing things more often and we hurt a little bit deeper. So, again, a really hard thing is when a parent, you know, leaves or we lose them to whatever way that is and that. People think that it's not right to say it to the child. And you're just proof of that, that you came up with all of those thoughts and beliefs in your head, that it was your fault somehow until somebody actually sat down and respected you and said, you know, these are the reasons that your birth dad has left. That changed a lot for you, didn't it, Katie? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So my parents had actually split up just before I was born. So... My birth dad was never living in the home or anything. Um, but really, from quite a young age, there were social workers involved and a court case going on over the access um, to me. And I ended up staying with him pretty much every Wednesday and every other weekend. And I think for me, that was a really turbulent time because... He would have done things like, say, I'll pick her up at 10 a.m. And at 4 p.m. he still hadn't arrived. And, you know, you'd be ringing him and his phone would be off. And then he would ring my mum back and say, oh, I was in Ikea with my girlfriend <laughs> and mm. her kids. So, it, you know, they were never great excuses. And I think, like, living with that was quite hard to understand and a lot of people have said but sure did the rest of your family network like having that support network not help and I was like it did but it doesn't cancel out the pain of that and mm. uh, I think that's what people have struggled to understand that even though he wasn't living with me it still caused like so much pain it's still like rejection and almost being abandoned isn't it and yeah. again I often hear people saying you know our children don't remember those things I think those are the things that they remember the most you know when they're hurt by the people that even if they're not a secure loving adult in their lives it's still somebody of importance you know yeah. to them and you did spend time and obviously wanted to have a relationship with your dad you know and again, as a child, you there's only so much you can put out to your dad without, you know, going, hello, will you please love me the way I need yeah, you to love me? Exactly. You know. And I, I think for me, experiencing grief and loss of someone who was still alive was a really difficult process because I couldn't quite acknowledge that that was what I was going through until I grew up a bit and then I looked back and I was like wow like that was a huge sense of loss and 
I was actually having a conversation with my mum the other day and saying, because I have an amazing stepdad now, he came into my life when I was six. Um, he was always absolutely adorable. I still remember I was staying with my grandparents and just a couple of years before um, my mum and my stepdad were going to get married, he came to the house and I was the first person he asked and he said, can I marry your mum? And there was just instant respect. Um, but it's been quite sad because Jordan and I have booked our wedding. And I was talking to my mum the other day and saying, isn't it quite sad that, you know, I won't have my birth dad there? And she was like, well, you can invite him if you want. <laughs> and yeah. It was like, no, like, he won't be there. But it's it's still quite sad, you know, mm. even 10 years later, like it's still like really difficult to let that go. Yeah. And again, Katie, you know, because you are so blessed to have a lovely stepdad, which was lovely to have that kind of father figure there in a positive influence for you, wasn't it? And I think even having your grandparents as well, that security of a loving couple, you know, as well, family members and your mom. And why do you? Or why do we all focus on the person that's missing so much instead of looking at what we actually have in our lives? I don't know. I think it I think we are always seem to be programmed to see the negative. And I think whenever things are quite secure and there are a lot of people that love us, then when somebody doesn't it really highlights that mm. you know it would be like um say on a a sheet of paper there were um red the color red was written 10 times and blue was mixed in there twice even though red is very dominant you're gonna spot the blue because you're like that shouldn't really be there that doesn't fit the pattern that's not right so i think when something happens that kind of challenges our values and who we are as a person I think for me that is why we are programmed to see mm -hmm. the negative and I think that was a challenging time for me because even though I'd experienced quite high anxiety I was always very secure in who I was as a person and always quite confident in that respect but that experience of rejection really challenged that then. And I know even today I can bring it into my relationships almost subconsciously. Yeah, you're so right, you know, in those that programming and that we 70 percent we go to negative bias. Absolutely. So again, in your experience to date, it's a learning process, isn't it, of how to switch that around for yourself and now look at all of the great influences you have in your life. And I think sometimes it's learning to accept that that person that we're grieving or, you know, missing in our lives, that they can't love us the way we need them to love us and that we need to let go of that need. So it's not that big gap in our lives, isn't it? And say, 
they can love me the way only they can love me. It's not enough for me, but I have to accept that's all they can give me so that you're not always waiting because there's kind of an air of that, isn't there? It's like, well, maybe one day and that maybe one day might never come. And again, you have so much beautiful love and support in your life that that is so like you're enveloped in it. So to use that as a strong foundation for yourself rather than the one person that you felt rejected or abandoned by, you know, because you have so much in your life. And I think, you know, as you get older, you will probably accept it more and more because, you know what, you're still young. And even at 52, it still hurts when somebody does that to you. But you learn over time to accept they can't give me what I need. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the end of last year, certainly there was a lot of acceptance. Um, my birth dad had actually messaged me on Christmas Day, um, which shook me a bit. And it was basically just saying, I'm really proud of you. I'm sorry I couldn't have been the dad you deserved. Mm-hmm. Um, but still love you to bits. And, you know, it's great to see everything. And that to me was great and I think I just accepted that I I do think we put expectations on people and when they don't live up to those expectations you know it shocks us a lot and I think his diagnosis of bipolar a few years ago now really helped me to understand and look at his adverse childhood experiences and to me I kind of thought well that's completely understandable that he couldn't take on that responsibility with all the baggage he was carrying. And I do think there has been a lot of forgiveness. And mm-hmm. I think once I removed that expectation and accepted, you know, that he wasn't in a position to be a dad and mm-hmm. um, it has helped a lot with the journey. That's beautiful, Katie. And so many beautiful words in there, the acceptance, the forgiveness and letting go of expectations you know, so powerful. And again, it's something people are still learning, you know, that are a lot older than you in their lives. And I always say when we have expectations of others, we're always disappointed because it's not what we need from them. And you, because I always say we start with ourselves and go back to ourselves. So what did I expect from you? You know, and if you didn't live up to my expectations, then I'm disappointed. That's not your fault. That's mine because <laughs> I expected it and you had no idea. So it's always coming back to ourselves and But your understanding of it now and receiving that text from your birth dad, like even though that was only a text, that was so vital for you to be able to move on with your life in your own mind, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. And I could even. So basically what had happened was we were at my grandparents and silly me, I'd forgotten everyone's Christmas presents. So Jordan had to drive me back home. And that was when the text came through and he even said, within like 10-15 minutes my shoulders were kind of up a bit more and it was almost you could see that the baggage had been lifted from me mm-hmm. and he he said kind of from that moment I was a lot brighter and a lot more accepting and ready to go forward I mean I wish I I wish I could have maybe accepted a bit earlier but it's definitely a learning curve and I have had so many conversations with young people in a similar situation and it's just been so powerful to be able to relate. Mm, 
Yeah, very powerful. And again, I love what you said there is, you know, I wish it happened earlier. But I think even if it did happen earlier, you mightn't have understood it as well. So I think everything happens probably when we're ready, you know, to accept it and let it go. Because if that happened even at 11, you wouldn't still understand that, you know, you, you know. So again, it depends on where we are in our own lives as well. But I love that you were able to share with people of, you know, your own peers as well that are going through that. And I think more stories, you know, that we share openly and honestly about what we've experienced or still are experiencing is helping others. So they're feeling like I'm not just on my own here. You know, Katie went through it, Sharon went through it, whoever went through it, you know, and they've kind of said, OK, it's tough, but we're getting through it. Yeah, well done, Katie. So tell me then about your own mental health issues over the years. Yeah, so that kind of started the Christmas time of my first year of secondary school. And so Christmas exams were coming up and I caught just your average cold and I ended up off school and missing my December exams. So when I come back to school, I was at my local grammar school. I was expected to come out of classes to do those exams catch up in the course on the like class stuff that I'd missed because of that within a couple of days and do my homework as well so every night when I came home I was working till maybe half nine ten at night as a young 11 year old and only stopping for dinner and I was just getting really stressed with it and then there was just a sudden change and Every single day at school, I was feeling really sick, wasn't eating properly, wasn't sleeping. Most of my days in the nurse's office, pleading with her to go home. And I just kept saying, Mommy, I'm really worried and I don't know why. And I just got caught in this constant cycle of anxiety. I was having panic attacks several times throughout the day and... It was only when my mum kind of caught on a couple of months later that she took me to the doctors and I was diagnosed with severe anxiety disorder. And um, so I think that was a huge shock for a lot of people. I'd always been a very anxious child. And um, there were things like if I was sitting in school assembly and the teacher said, we're going to do the high ropes, which was like this huge climbing frame in school we're going to do that on Thursday say this assembly was Monday I wouldn't have slept right up until that moment because I'm scared of heights and mm. um, so that for me um, was really tough but it was manageable and but this was just an absolutely horrible experience just I couldn't keep food down I was just so anxious and I think again that word expectation I think there were a lot of expectations on me and I know that my mom was very frustrated that you know as 11 year old I had no life outside of school you know you got homework over the weekend and things as well mm -hmm. but I'd always been quite a perfectionist and um, so whenever I got B grades I was basically told that wasn't good enough and that I should be getting A's and A stars because I was top of my class in primary school. So that was really the start of that. And I ended up moving schools around the Easter time 
Um, I mean, I was having suicidal thoughts at the age of 11. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was a really tough time. Went to a brand new school. Absolutely loved it. And then when I was leaving my GCSEs to go and study A-levels, I had to move schools again. So I tried grammar school again. I don't know why. I think I wanted to prove something to myself. But again, the same kind of thing happened. I was okay for a few weeks. And then suddenly there was a turn that things got really dark this time. I started self-harming, cutting my arms, um, suicidal thoughts. And that kind of went on for couple of years on and off and then in upper sixth when I was doing my final A levels the pressure just was really building and I had a separate storeroom to study in I wasn't in the main study or anything and I was on study leave at the time but studying out of school and I went home and I ended up taking an overdose um and what age up- were you that time then Katie so I would have been 17, 18. Um, and I still remember it very clearly. Um, coming home, being very anxious. Um, my cocker spaniel, Finn, he was a pup at the time. He couldn't understand what was wrong whenever I came in. But I got quite dizzy as I started to take the tablets because I was taking a mixture of things. And I fell down to the ground and he actually came and lay on top of me with his paws on the pressure points of my shoulders and held me down. And that actually stopped me from getting up to get more. But I had spotted my mum's medication. She has fibromyalgia, so she was taking very strong amitriptyline at the time. And um, that's what I was going to take next. And he stopped me and... I leaned up a bit to get my phone, but he applied enough pressure to allow me to do that, but not let me get up. And um, I phoned my granny, and when my granny arrived, he ran to the door together and came straight back into that position. Wow. Um, so, yeah, like that, that's really powerful. And I think that's another thing that people underestimate dogs. <laughs> um, oh my God, you're so right, because yeah. dogs have a sense they know when we're sad and when things are going on that's why there's so many beautiful dogs that are there to help people now you know for all different things conditions that are going on I love how Finn held you down you know I always call them they're like the furry angels on earth aren't they they're just looking out for us all the time with unconditional love yeah I think that was really difficult my mom was at work at the time and um I think it was hard because I had always reached out to either my mum or my granny if something was going on and I didn't at this time. But I think all the difficult emotions had just built up and I was just so overwhelmed. Um, but thankfully, like because of Finn, I didn't need my stomach pumped or anything like that. So, um, Go Finn. Yeah, absolutely. We got through that night and I actually went back into school um, a few days later. It was exactly 10 days before my first day level exam that night. Um, so, yeah, I went back into school and 
a teacher really fought for me. She rang the education board herself, got me extra time, a separate room for my exams. And she just said, there's no pressure, but why don't you give them a go? She was like, I firmly believe even if you were to do no more studying at this point, that you could do well. And I still remember on results day, I got three Bs. My mom was screaming with joy and I cried. Mm -hmm. And it was really tough for me because I knew I needed an N, two Bs to get onto my course. So I just saw myself as a failure. And the teachers didn't come near me on that day because they were only reporting the students with A's and A stars. Um. So that that was really tough and that almost confirmed my belief that I was a failure, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, and I still remember sitting out for a family breakfast and I just wanted to go home. And we had to wait, I think it was maybe four days to see if Queen's would let me in through clearing. And I, I, I got onto my course, which I was absolutely delighted about, but it was another like four sleepless nights. <laughs> Um, but my plan if I didn't get onto that particular course I wanted to do my plan was to go back and reset one of my A-levels so mum was just praying to anyone and everything that um, that wouldn't happen and we wouldn't have to go through that <laughs> I know oh congratulations Katie after everything you went through and then to still get your course that is amazing did it make you, well, maybe we'll go back a little bit, when you decided that night to take the overdose, and of course, I can understand your mom and your grandmom, you know, saying, why didn't you tell us? But again, that, you know, that's a really powerful thing you've just said, that, you know, when you're younger as well, we don't have the emotional intelligence sometimes to express how we're feeling. And it's a lot of pain. And you think it's just down to the study. Maybe it is the expectations you have on yourself, but maybe it's lots of things that built up over your lifetime up to that 17 years of age that just got too much for you. Did you get professional help at that stage, Katie? Yeah, I'm trying to think. At that stage, not so much really. I went to the self-harm intervention program through the NHS quite a brief period at that time, it wasn't really until I was in my final year of uni. Yeah, my final year, I want to say it was 2020 that I reached out for um, help. And what and made you reach out, Katie? What, what took it to that, that you said, now I need to reach out for help? See, this is an interesting one because... Looking back, I'm surprised that I didn't have the same push to ask for help when I was in my lowest of places. Um, I'm shocked that coming out of that didn't make me want to go and get help. I mean, I was seeing the school counsellor, um, but I certainly could have gone to get more support. Um, but in 2020, I realized that I was distracting myself with everyone and everything away from the problems and away from the root of the issue and 
during the at the start of the pandemic, I was finishing my degree as soon as I um finished those classes and I was doing my assignments, I started working full time. I took on loads of extra hours. I started volunteering at the food bank and volunteering within the hospital. And my grandfather had been ill. He took a stroke and cancer, uh, liver cancer, within a few months of each other. So I was helping to care for him as well. And I really had this false belief that I could just carry on doing absolutely everything. I think you can definitely do anything, but not everything. And mm. I got that very mixed up and I just distracted myself to the point of burnout when all the really intense panic attacks came back. And like during the night, I would get flashbacks um, from when I was a little girl and I would actually wake up hyperventilating during the night. And I think that was such a scary experience for me. Mm. So I think when those intense physical symptoms re-emerged and I really wanted to reach out for help and I think for me the struggle was the waiting list um, for a lot of people because I needed help but I needed it like then there and then and I didn't want to wait and I actually went privately and I spent a full month's wages (laughs) because I was only working part-time on that private therapy. I had about four or five sessions, but it's completely changed my life. Um, I went from having panic attacks every hour, and I think I've maybe only had about four or five memorable ones from that time. Um, So a lot of neuro-linguistic programming was done with me, a lot of timeline therapy. So going right back to that moment and almost reliving that experience and then releasing it and letting it go mm-hmm. and that was really powerful wow well done was there a fear about going back to that moment as a young girl in your mind before you started having therapy yeah absolutely I think I had always I think because I'd always been somebody who was very much in control of the situation or like to think I was yeah (laughs) so like even because I had such a tight-knit family and I I still do and because I'm the only child like I think that was a sense of control in itself that you know if I wanted my granny and granda's support it was there immediately with immediate access and I think what was difficult for me was when my granda fell ill and um, because I didn't have that anymore and I, I couldn't. So granny is now my granddad's full-time carer. So I think when that was removed for me, that was really tough. And I I definitely think that's what led me to the route of private therapy because my granny has always been a bit like my therapist. She's amazing. Like she's just one of those people that you can go in and just talk to about whatever's going on. There's never any judgment she just tells you literally what she thinks and normally gives you a really good solution so I think for me not having that it almost felt like a bit of rejection but I had the understanding that it was down to circumstance and I think not having that accessibility was a real struggle for me and 
I, I think that was what led me to reach out for support. Mm. I'm so glad you did, Katie, for yourself. You know, that's a really powerful thing you've just said, because many people will say, oh, such a young person, you know, they're struggling, but they have a loving family all around them. Why didn't they talk to them? Why didn't they reach out? And I think, you know what, if there's any parents listening to this podcast and they have young or teenage children or even college going children or young adults, I should say, that sometimes that they're you're not able to express it just because they're older now, but they may not be able to express it. And again, you know, I go back to your mom and your grandmother feeling bad because at the time a few years ago, you know, they got, well, why, how did we not notice or was it this bad? Why didn't you tell us? And that sometimes you're just not able to. Is there any words of advice that you can give to young people or their parents listening that are struggling right now, Katie? I think honestly, I'll start with the parents one. I think this is something, it's something my mom and I have been talking about a lot. And I have so much compassion for parents. I think the majority of parents do such an amazing job. And I personally don't want kids that might change. But I I just I just really admire parents, you know, the the sacrifices that they make and I look back at the sacrifices that my mum made um, throughout my life. You know, there were times where she gave me and she met my essential needs and didn't meet hers, um, you know, as a single mum. And yeah, like she is definitely, whenever I wasn't well, like she just sat up all the time and took care of me until I began to worry about her and mention to my friends and they would come over and let her kind of, go and take some rest so I think with parents honestly there are so many amazing organizations out there now I know in particular cause carers in Northern Ireland I'm not sure I think they may operate across the UK mm. um but yeah definitely just reaching out for support and getting support yourself I think so often parents take on certainly mums that kind of mum guilt Mm. and I've just seen how destructive it can be and I know certainly my mom has said like this is all my fault that you've turned out this way and I'm like no mom but these experiences have given me a powerful story to tell and I wouldn't have had all these amazing experiences without that so mm. and I just think like certainly my mom and my grandparents have always really supported my education and any opportunities like and yeah I just think parents really should reach out for support because they can't help their children you know if they're not good themselves and I think getting advice and support and guidance before you try and tackle the issue is so crucial because I think everybody wants to help I think I honestly think we're naturally programmed to want to help people but you can do damage if you don't have the right skills. So I think reaching out and with young people, honestly, like going to the person who they have a connection with and getting some signposting is always the great step. Like, I think there's an expectation on people that you should go to like one particular person. You know, you should always speak to your parents or you should speak to your grandparents or your friends but I always say that 
like there are some friends I would go to with some issues and there are other friends I would go to with other issues so honestly like try and remove that expectation and just speak to the person who you feel comfortable Mm. speaking to that's very good I love that you know having compassion for parents because you're so right and I always say to people if you don't look after yourself it's very hard to look after anybody else and you're also right about mom guilt and worry if their children are going through a hard time because we naturally want to make it better for them and that there's an easier road ahead but as parents we are only walking alongside our children on their journey and they may tell us everything and then there's times they won't tell us anything and that's okay but again as you said if you are a parent struggling out there you know be a little bit kinder to yourself you're doing the best you can you're letting your child or your teenage or young adult letting them know that you are there when they need you but maybe they don't need you right now maybe they need somebody else as Katie said and I have learned that from experience with my two adult children and sometimes I say to them go and find somebody that knows more about that absolutely you know they can help more because again when you're a mom and you're working as a therapist you can't help but get emotionally attached when it is your own children so you have to have boundaries in line as well and we can't save the world we can be there to carry them along until they get to as you said somebody that is beside them that you know that they will be able to speak to Katie I think that's valuable advice when you are 32, Katie, which is a long time away for you, what would you love to be doing in your life? Or what would you love to be? A clinical psychologist. This has always been the dream. Um, there are some people who study psychology and go into more of a research side of it. But for me, I want to learn the theory in order to help others and be practical with that knowledge. So... It is a very long road at the moment. We were talking about this last night. So I have another year of my master's degree. I was doing my master's full time until July when I fell and broke my ankle and ended up in for surgery. That's another story. Um, So I've got my master's and then I do a doctorate, which is three years after that in clinical psychology. But I can't start that until September 2025. So September 2020, at the earliest, I will be a qualified clinical psychologist, um, which I'm really looking forward to. But it's a huge commitment to make, especially at such a young age. But also for you, you have the right reason why you're doing it. And I'd say to young and old, I'd say when you start anything, ask yourself, why am I doing this? You know, it's not just to have a degree. It's what you want to do with the degree. Have you something in mind that you would like to do? Can you envision yourself being or working using the degree you're doing or whatever it is? If it's a job, you know, that you start off with, where do you envision yourself? What would you like to do with your life? Go back to the why you're doing it. And I think your why is very important, Katie, because you've experienced so much already in your young life, up to 22 (laughs) And you're those experiences, again, as I said, they're the foundation of um, propelling you, you know, into the life you're going to create for yourself and becoming a clinical psychologist. What an amazing clinical psychologist you will make, you know, helping other people because you're bringing all of the lived experience, but you're also learning how to do that in a way professionally 
also with people that are going to need your support. I think you're amazing, Katie. Thank you. You're welcome. So is there any last word you would like to leave my listeners about you or about your journey or about positivity only? I would always just say, reach out when you're struggling, when you feel yourself starting to struggle or things aren't quite working out or you're not sleeping great or just something is going on and you have something within you that's kind of propelling you towards reaching out for help. I always say listen to that instinct. I didn't. Um, and I don't regret that. I know people always say to me that they live with regrets. And I certainly don't. Yes, sometimes I think to myself, gosh, if I had done this differently, I would have had an easier life or an easier childhood. But it's helped to shape me into who I am today. And I always think that vulnerability is strength and that's where your power lies. Um, so, yeah, re reach out if you're struggling, like just to anybody who you feel comfortable with. Yeah. And I think one of the most powerful things you said is let go of the expectations of yourself and of others, you know, and stop living up to the expectations of your parents or teachers. And even though you were might have been the best student or the best at sports and it's not working for you right now, let go of it and maybe say it out loud. I'm struggling with the expectations that are being put upon me or I put on myself, isn't it? Because we're always constantly changing and to be a little bit kinder a little bit easier on ourselves, give ourselves a break. Yeah, absolutely. Katie, thank you so much for sharing with us today on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And people can find you on Facebook under Positivity Only, Instagram, um, Positivity Only Insta, and on LinkedIn, you're Katie Graydon Spence. Yeah. We'll be watching your journey, Katie. And I know you're getting married in July 2025 also. Indeed. So, yeah, we're really excited. Um, so, yeah. Best of luck to you and Jordan and to your lovely grandparents and your mom and your stepdad and everyone. And you have a great support team around you, Katie, wishing you every success for the future. Thank you so much, Sharon. You're welcome. Thank you to all my listeners for listening again today. And I look forward to connecting to you all again soon.